You know the Republic won't pay a ransom for me. And the Separatists can't be trusted. They'll betray you and kill us both. Yes, I know this, my dear. The Separatists are no friends of mine. Don't ask me why, but Duku holds such a grudge against me since our little I held him hostage affair. The truth is, I have my sights set on more nefarious criminals than I. A businessman who will pay handsomely for a Jedi. A female Jedi at that. You don't scare me, Hondo. Oh, oh by the way, they don't care if you're dead or alive. I mean, I prefer alive, less messy, but I find my mood so changeable these days. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Puto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the Clone Army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure, because it's time to send in the clones! In this episode, on the planet Florum, Hondo and his dastardly pirates hold Ahsoka hostage after failing to procure the kyber crystals from the young Jedi. In order to save Ahsoka, the younglings join forces with a traveling circus to infiltrate the pirate stronghold. Hey, troops, it's your old buddy Bucho, the Clone Wars rookie on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars, and next to me in the dropship on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars, he is the Ahsoka to my group of Padawans. It's your trusty pal, Robbie. Hello there. And we're going to talk about the 95th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology, written by Christian Taylor, directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell. It's Season 5, Episode 8, Bound for Rescue. So, Robbie, let's roll out with you telling us what you remembered about this episode of Bound for Rescue before you rewatched it again this week. How about that traveling carnival, huh? Yeah. No, honestly, this one is one that it's just not very memorable. So I couldn't remember exactly what happened and how it went down. And it's a weird one. I just didn't remember much at all about this. So it was, again, one of those episodes where it was like, I kind of feel like I'm watching this for the first time because I don't remember any of this. In, in a couple of previous episodes, I think in particular of The Deserter and Innocence of Ryloth, we've seen stories with Obi-Wan doing something while someone else does something else, right? Like an A story and a B story. Yeah. And each time you've commented that even though Obi-Wan is your main man, you weren't super interested in his branch of the plot, like it was taken away from the plot that was actually compelling. And that other plot, either Rex and Cut in The Deserter, or Numa and Waxer and Boyle in Innocence of Ryloth, is where you really want to be. And you just wanted to get back to that plot anytime they were showing the Obi-Wan story. And even though I get the sense that you weren't super crazy about this carnival kind of story here, you just had to be thinking the same thing here, right? Well, I mean, it's a really weird thing in this one because I'm equally interested in each one, but because we don't get to really dig into, it's almost like just when you start to be settling in, they switch you to the other story. And so what that does is it gives me um, kind of a meh kind of feeling on both sides. Right. So it's just a really uneven episode to me. And yeah, I mean, gosh, Grievous is attacking Obi-Wan, like just 
a full frontal assault on his ship and you're like what's going on why is this and then let's cut back to the carnival i it's so strange and then you start to ease into it and you're like yeah it's the carnival and they're doing the, they're kind of doing the thing and and then all the momentum that you get in those few scenes is ruined by going back and then you're like okay oh yeah okay so the droids are attacking okay and I don't know. I'm curious as to what you think of it, because I feel so almost, I don't know, very detached. Yeah, part of the odd vibe of the episode is that it's set up as if Obi-Wan is going to go and help the kids. And, I mean, isn't it even that he says he's going to get Cody, right? He's going to send Cody on a mission. And that sounds fun. I mean, we haven't seen Cody do anything for ages, it feels like. And to have a mission where Cody goes off and gets mixed up in the hijinks of these kids, that sounds fun because... We just haven't seen anything like that with Cody before. You know, we've seen Rex have sort of solo adventures. When he met Cutler Quayne, that was kind of one of them, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't have any sense, really, of who Cody is. We haven't, like I said, we just haven't seen him for a long time. And he seems more serious than Rex. So you can imagine if Rex got mixed up with these kids, he'd be like fun Uncle Rex. Whereas with Cody, it'd be more like Wolf was with 3PO, you know, when Wolf mm-hmm. was in the Mercy Mission and had, you know, had it up to here with 3PO. You can imagine that Cody would be exasperated by having to deal with these kids. Which, that sounds like a fun episode to me, but that's not what happens. But there's this tension throughout the whole episode where it feels like Obi-Wan wants to get to the kids. And so I feel like at any given moment in the Grievous plot, Obi-Wan and Cody and, you know, maybe some other clone troopers are going to win that battle and break away and actually head over to hook up with the kids. But it never happens. And so there's this tension through the whole episode, like, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? It never does. And the two stories are almost completely separate from each other. And because they feel so separate, the episode as a whole just doesn't come together dramatically. So that was how it worked for me. And it's not that there weren't fun things or cool things in the Grievous and Obi-Wan fight. I mean, seeing Grievous get a win, although you have to put the win in quotes because Obi-Wan obviously has that self-destruct trick up his sleeve but it is good to see Grievous being effective and there is that moment where Grievous crushes a clone trooper's head under his foot which is I'm sure something that's going to be a little bit memorable for a little while but just overall it's not a remarkable battle it's something that we've seen a bunch of times before and there's nothing else too spectacular aside from maybe that Y-Wing that's the other thing that Y-Wing that crashes down right into the hangar bay we see it coming in from a mile out and it's you see where it's lining up it's lining up into the hangar sort of that track that they take off and Landon and so that was a cool scene but overall there was nothing about that battle scene apart from seeing Grievous get a win that was remarkable and so I kept on wanting to get back to the kids even though all they were doing was some sort of carnival shenanigans and it was bringing up questions of its own like what is tumbling and acrobatics just a part of Jedi training like that's a class project or something put together (laughs) a tumbling routine because these kids knew all of the moves they had this routine ready to go oh yeah they were very effective yeah but it's like I just don't know. I think you're absolutely right, though. It's because there's almost the promise of them joining the kids that since it doesn't happen and it's almost prolonged even further by them cutting in between the different stories that it just feels like a kind of a wasted opportunity. I don't know. I don't even know. But it's almost like they felt like we'd been spending so much time with these kids that yeah. we need to get to some cool Jedi action or some cool Clone Wars action. Yeah. It almost felt like an excuse, but... I don't know. And and that was the thing, too, is like you said, I was actually looking forward to the idea of not only like how would Cody act with the kids, but how would the kids act with the clones? I mean, at the very beginning of the episode, you know, Petro is, is like the Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, he's like 
this could be an interesting dynamic to see play out. You know, them actually dealing with the clone army for the first time. But how, how do you like that? Even though he's obviously reverent of Obi-Wan Kenobi, this legend, he's basically giving Obi-Wan lip pretty much straight away. Obi-Wan gives an order and he says, but Obi-Wan, we, but we can do this, we can do that. And he's just, he's so much like Anakin. I mentioned this in the last episode that he's very Anakin-like, this kid Petro. And he, here he even proves to be even more Anakin-like than he was in the previous episodes because he's giving lips to Obi-Wan, yeah. which is such an Anakin thing to do, specifically to Obi-Wan. And if there is one character thing, I guess, to take out of this episode, it is that Petro's Anakin-ness pays off again and I guess it's one of the themes of the show going all the way back to at least the first episode I ever saw our first episode in the chronology Cat and Mouse in which Anakin sort of defies Obi-Wan's orders and gets a win here's Petro doing the same thing defying Obi-Wan's orders you know finding a way around it getting a win so there's this theme that sort of runs through the entire Clone Wars that if you're a little bit of a scallywag you know like Anakin or Petro are you defy Obi-Wan's orders it'll probably work out alright in the end so I wonder what sort of message this is sending to the kids, Robbie. Well, I mean, it's even, you know, to that point, it's even punctuated by Ahsoka, yeah. you know, saying the exact same thing at the end of the episode. It's actually, like you said, it's almost like an interesting lesson to teach that sometimes you got to be a little rebellious in the show yeah. about rebels. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, not a show <laughs> yeah. about rebels, but a series in which being a rebel is such a great thing yeah yeah there's different ways to be a rebel and it seems to pay off yeah bend the rules a little bit it's a weird one though i mean i wonder if it's this because i feel like as i've gotten older the action scenes don't thrill me as much as they used to like even in you know the star wars movies I want to get to the character interactions. I want to get to the character motivations and things like that. Yeah. I guess it's just because I feel like I've seen everything and it's very hard to dazzle me, especially when you're throwing a bunch of CG at me. Sure. It's like I, I, I crave those real reactions between characters. Yeah, even the last episode, you didn't seem too buzzed about the scene where Ahsoka has to deal with being sucked out of the ship or blown out of the ship while the vacuum of space works on the pressure gradient of the ship. And that to me, that scene was still pretty fun because it was... You know, like the, I guess, go all the way back to the scene in Teth where we're seeing them fight up a cliff or go to the anti-gravity scene. And what was that? One of the Cad Bane episodes. Why can't I remember the mm-hmm. names of these things anymore, Robbie? We are on our 95th episode. Cargo so. of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We're deep into it. And so episode 26, I think it was Cargo of Doom. Yeah, I enjoy when there's these dynamics that are introduced where the fight is taking place in some way that's not usual, but... Yeah, the last episode, even that didn't seem to be grabbing you. But speaking of action scenes, how about seeing Hondo fly? I mean, that was the one action (laughs) moment that really did stick with me in this episode. Hondo laughing while he flies. I mean, you feel like he's going to be panicking in that moment. Like, you know, imagine if the same thing happened to Cad Bane, Robbie. Cad Bane would be panicking to be so out of control. But Hondo, drunken Hondo, it's all part of the fun. for. And this is the crazy drunken Uncle Hondo that I think people are in love with. And like, if you just manage to forget the part where he's happy with killing kids that we learned about in the last episode, this is where Hondo is the Hondo that we love. Oh, yeah. he's He really is a lot of fun. But And this is another one of those things where I, I kind of wonder about, you know, the showrunners, you know, and decisions that they make and things like that. Because, I mean, again, this is just interesting to me. It's almost like they had to remind you again that he's a pirate and he does some things that are... Because he apparently didn't like the last carnival act, so he killed them. Yeah. And it's like, but would he though? Like the way that they present him in this show doesn't feel like someone that's super dangerous. It's someone that's 
yeah, he's going to be out for, you know, his own good. He's out for number one. But I just don't feel like he's that kind of character. So it's weird. It's it's almost like, to me, like, they're almost forcing that upon his character. It just doesn't seem natural to me. Because he seems so much fun. I guess that's what it is. Is that he's so he ends up being so much fun in every episode that it's hard to believe that he would just murder people for, you know, oh, that didn't entertain me, so take him out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I get where you're coming from. I think I like that he's actually this ruthless guy because a lot of ruthless, terrible people are pretty charming people, you know? I mean, that's (laughs) how they get to where they get to is not just that they are hardcore, but they have some sort of charisma that makes people want to follow them. Right. It makes them, I mean, in quotes, likable, but it's not really that they're likable. It's that they're magnetic and charismatic. So I like that they have these little moments. I mean, even in this episode, he's just willing to sell Ahsoka to an even more ruthless more hardcore gangster who he knows won't care whether Ahsoka is dead or alive so you know Hondo's a he's a bad guy Robbie this guy this is a bad guy as charming as he is as fun as he is especially when he's drunk I'm happy to look at him as a bad guy you know with with a kind of a black heart under everything right no I, I mean I get it I just it's kind of like you're telling me all these things but you're not showing me any of these things and I think that's the... Right. You won't actually see him kill a kid is what you're saying. No, I, I don't... On screen, right? I don't need to see that. <laughs> but I mean, there's nothing in his previous episodes to me that make him seem that kind of person, that kind of danger, you know? And so that I guess that maybe that's the thing. It's like, you're telling me these things, but it's kind of like if you never saw Obi-Wan get in a fight with his lightsaber and everybody talks about how great he is. And you're like, yeah, but I've never seen it. You know, you keep talking about this guy, but... You know, it's always something that happened before. You know what I mean? And and I guess maybe that's it. And now here they're showing you the skull of uh, a former circus performer that he's obviously (laughs) killed. And it's like, this is a And it's a little creepy, too. Why would you keep that? (laughs) Well, you keep that because you have a black heart, I guess, Robbie. I guess. (laughs) That's what they're telling us about, about old Hondo. Yeah, this is an episode that is kind of feels unfocused or hard to get a hold on. So... I do have these other questions for you, Robbie. I mean, one of the things that I know about how you relate to Star Wars is that you don't like it when Jedis are super-powered, have any sort of superhero-type ability. So where does this insanely intricate level of force control needed to assemble something as insanely complex as a lightsaber sit on that four-star Robbie scale? With these Padawans, who are brand new to you know a lot of this stuff, they can not just manipulate precisely dozens of parts of a lightsaber but control them so that they fit together perfectly just using the force how does that fit with that they shouldn't be superheroes thing because this is an insane level of control to me i don't know that's a really that in fact i never really thought of it that way to me if you can do this you can pick any lock because a lightsaber is orders of magnitude more complex than a lock and so if you can do this then there is not a lock in the universe that you can't pick, you know? Man, this is actually a really good question. And it's something that I I never really considered. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, so then what did I think about it? It's almost like I felt like the Force was guiding them in a way to put it together. I guess that's what I always thought. Right. Because, I mean, it's like the crystal is theirs, and the crystal only speaks to them. Sure. And it almost felt like like Petro in the previous episode was forcing it. Like sure. <laughs> no pun intended. But you know what I mean? He was yeah. he was yeah. he was being impatient with it. But if you let go, the force will guide you to the correct answer. Sure. It's not like, you know, pulling a star destroyer out of the sky, you know. 
It's sure. You know what I mean? It just feels different. But if you let go, won't the force guide you to pull a star destroyer out of the sky? Or pick a lock, or whatever you need. I would think there's very few instances where you would need to pull a Star Destroyer out of the sky. But that's just me. I I, I don't know, man, that, but that's a really interesting question. Because if you think about it as electronics in general, now you're talking about something where there's something that's focusing a beam through a crystal to do this, and there's an emitter, and there's... It's actually kind of an interesting thing, but I never thought of it that way. I guess, I guess it's just because I felt like they're working together with the crystal to make the lightsaber, if that makes any sense. Yeah, the crystal has its own power, so it's maybe a team effort. Yeah. That, you know, if it wasn't, if the crystal wasn't there and they had to assemble the lightsaber with the crystal outside it, maybe it just would fall apart. I don't know. But it's a cool way to look at it, though, what you're saying. I get, the, I get what you're yeah. saying. But it's funny that I've never thought of it as being this insane use of the Force. It's weird. Well, speaking of weird, Robbie... it should be. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of weird, I mean, how do I put this? I guess Priego just travels with outfits for any type of alien of any age. Or do you think he has a seamstress on board who can whip up custom outfits within an hour or so? I mean, how come? I mean, how did that work? Every one of these kids has their own custom outfit that just happens to fit perfectly. Or it could just be that the Dugs are incredibly resourceful when it comes to, I don't know, man, I don't know. I don't know, but it's fun that, yeah, you brought up that he's a Doug, and I hadn't noted that down, but he is a fun character. His vo- he's voiced by Stephen Stanton, and he's got that massive, what is that, like a mustache, but it <laughs> doesn't look like hair. It looks like... A pole or something, like, yeah. it's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, he's just a cool-looking character, and I always like the Dougs. They're just such a fun alien, one of the most fun alien designs, and so I definitely enjoyed seeing a Doug in this episode, and I enjoyed seeing the Alina, the drivers of this jalopy sort of ship of his uh, we got these Alina also from Mercy Mission the episode that we mentioned earlier with, when Wolf was having so much trouble with 3PO but speaking of things we like looking at Robbie let's talk about what is your favorite shot of Bound for Rescue well I mean you and I have talked many many times about our love of jets and all that and for a lot of us especially around our age you know it was focused around Top Gun so I have to say that the Z95 pulling the Maverick, right. you know, I'm going to hit the brakes <laughs> and fly right by. I enjoyed it. And I was like, okay, that was cool. That was really, really cool. But there's there's a lot of really, really nice looking shots in that whole battle. It's really, really cool. And again, it seems more dense than any of the other previous space battles we've seen. Huh, that's interesting. I didn't... Th- I guess I didn't think that. I didn't make a note like that. I do remember the Top Gun move, though. <laughs> and we've also talked in the past about how Florum seems to always be in Magic Hour whenever we're on Florum, and it's that sort of golden haze that's around everything. So the Crucible landing on Florum. You know, and the Crucible's a cool-looking ship. We didn't talk about that in the last episode, but I really like the look of that ship. And, you know, I mentioned that I liked seeing Hondo flying through the air, that shot of just... <laughs> <laughs> sort of at the top of the arc, just about to start coming down and smash down. What did he smash down behind some rubbish bins or something? And also like seeing him get licked by that massive dinosaur <laughs> that had been left behind by Priego. Such a weird episode. Yeah, but I think my favorite shot was that classic tilt the camera up to focus on someone who is standing at a ridiculous height, who is about to do a ridiculous stunt shot of Biff standing up there on top of Priego's ship, holding a bunch of flowers for some reason. I mean, these kids are great at putting on a show and so that being the 
sort of climactic moment of this show. I guess that was my favorite shot of the episode, Robbie. And so before we bring it in for a landing, we need to sum up and give our ratings. So after your third ever watch of Bound for Rescue, how did you like it? And where does Bound for Rescue sit on that four-star Robbie scale? It's weird because I, you know, I've talked about how it's probably so disjointed that it's hard to really enjoy it. I think I'm going to give this one a two and two-thirds just because I don't know why, right. but that's that's just what it's what I have in my head. It's to me, it's it's almost like if you're watching these through, I think you can totally skip this episode. I mean, and just know that oh well, they get Ahsoka back because that's really what's important. Yeah, I definitely get where you're coming from. And oddly for me, I'm trying to think of moments in this episode where I wasn't engaged. And I can't really think of any. That's the weird thing about it. And part of why I was engaged throughout the whole thing is because I was trying to work out how Obi-Wan and Cody can disengage from this battle and get to the kids, which was, uh, you know, kind of a red herring in the end. But all the way through the episode, there wasn't a moment when I was thinking, this isn't quite working for me. I don't know. It felt like every second of the episode, I was at least engaged with it. So I can't go too harsh on it. But on the other side of things, it also feels like Apart from rescuing Ahsoka, nothing really kind of happened. We didn't get any character development from anyone. We didn't really learn anything new about anyone. So I've got it at six tumbling Padawans out of ten. And I don't know if that means I'll be looking forward to rewatching it, but I can't be too harsh on it too. Because like I said, I was entertained basically through the whole thing. But that's mission accomplished for season five, episode eight, Bound for Rescue. So Robbie, won't you please let the troops out there know if they want to tell us how they liked Bound for Rescue, what are our communications channels? Sure, we are Bucho and Robbie at Gmail, Twitter, and Instagram. That's B-U-C-H-O-A-N-D-R-O-B-B-Y. Yes, sir. And of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 96th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars Chronology Season 5, Episode 9, Unnecessary Bond. And until then, this is your old buddy Bucho alongside your trusty pal Robbie. And we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform, and Pucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Pucho and Robbie at gmail.com. May the force be with you.